Hello everyone, I'm going to keep this very short. Of course, I'm incredibly excited to have you with me for episode four of Talk Racing to Me with Naomi. I am Naomi Tucker and I'm going to hurry along because there is some awesome content ahead that I really want to get to. We're starting with Ruben Munoz, longtime agent of Ricardo Santana Jr., who just secured his seventh leading rider title at Oakland Park over the weekend. But he has had more riders on his books than just Ricardo, as well as having quite the background within the racing fraternity, allowing us to get some inside jokes out of him, including some of the industry's all-time legendary riders. I really can't wait for you to get to all the good stuff. And we close off the show with Brett Calhoun, a long-time top-level trainer who's going from strength to strength, but allows us some candid insight into developing an operation from the ground up, in addition to talking about receiving horses from the West, after Jason Service and Jorge Navarro were a part of the 27 individuals that got indicted on federal charges related to performance-enhancing drugs. Of course, he also gives us updates on some of his stable stars, including last weekend's Oakland Handicap winner by my standards, as well as Mr. Big News and Mr. Money. The gates are open, guys. Let's run. I'm joined by Ruben Munoz. Do I say that correctly? Munoz? Yeah, Ruben Munoz. Yeah, Munoz is the pronunciation, the correct Munoz. Munoz. M-U-N-O-Z. Yes, Ruben Munoz. Okay, I'm going to say that from now. Ruben Munoz joins me here, currently agent to Ricardo Santana Jr., who you've been with since 2009. You just secured your seventh leading rider title at Oakland Park together, which is a phenomenal feat. Congratulations, first of all. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Very, very fortunate. Has there been any celebrating going on? or? No, it's it's pretty much just, you know, stay focused for the next meet that's coming up. I mean, we, we celebrate and, you know, quietly. We're not big-time party people or anything like that, so we... He came over, he gave me a hug, he said, thank you so much, Dad. He called me Dad a lot, and he was very, very happy because we were in up against it after the 14-day quarantine, and he brought me some food, and that was that. That was the celebration. Oh, what kind of food did he bring you? Um, well, there's a place right here called Back Porch Grill that we like to patronize a lot, and he just brought me food from there. I said, I'm hungry, I don't want to go out, and he just picked it up for me. So he brought me a nice little fillet with a twice-baked potato that um, they make in that place. And I had my ice cream in my fridge. So I was good. Well, sometimes the small celebrations are the best, right? I agree. I agree. But getting back to the fact that you say he calls you dad. Now, I know that uh, Ricardo Santani Jr. came to the U.S. aged 16. And you were quite instrumental in doing so is that got to do with sort of the familiar ties that you have together well yes i mean you know now and and more so before in order to bring a jockey from abroad you would have to um have get a work permit for them and, and you would have to have especially him being a minor to take him out of the country from panama you would have to have full custody from both parents and now they don't let him out so I, I literally went to Panama and I met him personally and his family. And two days later, 
Um, he was on an airplane with me back to the USA. Was that based on some kind of visa? You mentioned that you needed the permission from the parents. Does that all need to be put in writing or how, do, how does that work? Well, that you have to have a lawyer in Panama who does an affidavit giving both parents permission for him to leave the country with me. Uh, and in order for me to bring him to the United States, you would have to get a P1 visa, which is a professional, a professional work permit, which a lot of the boxers and musicians, any entertainer or sports personnel or teams to work into in the U.S. have to get a a work visa, a P-1 visa, it's called, and that's a process. You have to submit that to U.S. Immigration and Customs and all that stuff, and you have to get it approved, and then you send that approval to the embassy in the in Panama, and there they interview him, and they stamp his passport with the work visa. And then he's able to get a tax ID number, which is uh, really a Social Security number that's good for work purposes only. So, yes, it, it's a problem. So when... He comes into the U.S., I go to the Social Security Administration, and that's where they give him the tax ID number so he can work here and then get licensed in any state. How long did that all take? A couple of months. I mean, at that back then, it, it was much easier than it is today. Uh, maybe 60 to 90 days. You know, they didn't have a, a huge workload back then, and all of the stuff that's going on today was not going on. And usually when you have, you know, you have to have a contract, you have to have letters of recommendation from owners and trainers in Panama, you have to have his, 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 his current stats, you have to have a good reason for the U.S. government to allow him into the country as someone that you can't readily get here. Um, obviously him being from the Lafipenke jockey, vocational jockey school is like their version of high school, being a graduate from there after a two-year program. So all those things have to be in order. So it's a case that you set up with an immigration lawyer in the United States. And, and you know, you make the contract, you sign the contract, you have the contract signed, you say where you're going to go, you have his stats, you have letters of reference, you have his birth certificate, you have his passport information, you have photos of, of, of winter circle pictures, newspaper articles, anything. You know, the, the U.S. government immigration loves paper. So the more you have, the better it is and the easier it is to get that that case approved. Yeah, I've, I've been to something similar myself. I'm Dutch, so I've, I'm currently on two concurrent visas here in the U.S. So I, I do know that it is very tricky. But how did you get to know Ricardo Santana Jr.? How did that relationship come about? You're from Puerto Rico. Please correct me if I'm wrong. And Ricardo Santana Jr. is from Panama. Is there any sort of relationship there? Or how does that, how did that end up coming into being? Well, my, my parents are from Puerto Rico. I was born in New York. Um, and I lived in Puerto Rico later on in my life um, as a young adult and into adulthood. Uh, but I grew up in New York going to Belmont and Aqueduct as a kid because my uncle, my mom's brother, used to work for Frank Pancho Martin, um, who used to train sham for those people who aren't familiar with Frank Martin. Um, and my uncle worked there. So as a kid, I was going to New York to the racetrack as a young kid and it got in my blood. Um, eventually, I, I also have another job. I, I work for the airline. And, and so I, I'm, it's easy for me to travel all over the place. But initially, the first jockey that I brought from out of any country was Miguel Mena. I brought him from Peru. I can't remember the year exactly. That was the first jockey that I brought from abroad. 
And the second jockey that I brought from abroad was Gabriel Saez, who won the Oakland Park Handicap yesterday. I no longer work for him, but he was the first jockey that I brought from Panama. And we did really well because we got in with a very good born Larry Jones. He won the Kentucky Oaks with Proud Spell in that same weekend. He rolled eight bells to a second place finish in the Derby. And since I did so well with Gabriel being from Panama, Panama is very passionate about their racing. And they follow all the kids that come um, out of Panama into the U.S. So this young man was introduced to me, Ricardo Santana. I, I was called from, um, I received the call from a gentleman named Roberto Arango, whose family is like St. the Phipses in the United States. His dad is responsible for bringing a lot of jockeys abroad. Um, you name it, he's brought them on. Um, Fernando Jara, Cornelio Velasquez, um, I could go on and on. So his son called me and he said, Ruben, I have a very good apprentice here who, ha who shows a lot of promise. He's a very charismatic kid. He's from very humble beginnings. And I think you should really consider bringing this kid to the U.S. being that you've done so well with Gabriel. And, you know, getting a call from a gentleman like that, from Mr. Arango, it's like a no-brainer. You know, when you get a call from a gentleman like that, it's something that you really have to consider. So that's how I was introduced to Ricardo Santana. And I went and I, like I said, I met his family. I met him. And he was on an airplane with me after we got all those pay, all that paperwork approved to Miami. We came, we flew into Miami from Panama. Wow. That is an incredible story. And we'll get back to you and your very successful relationship with Ricardo later on. Because I first want to ask a little bit more about you. You've just sort of explained how your parents are from Puerto Rico and, of course, the relationships you have there. And Puerto Rico is a country that has brought many incredible jockeys as well as racing professionals to the USA, which I'm sure you might have ties with. I'm talking about Angel Caldero Jr., the Ortiz brothers, Johnny Velasquez. Uh, I read that you also helped manage his book during the 2009 Keenlet meet. Now, how tight is this Puerto Rican community and how much do you all enjoy sort of working with each other and helping each other? Wow, that's a whole bunch of stuff to, well, let me see. Well, I'll give you an example. Johnny was just here for the weekend, and he stayed here with me at my place. He's like, I don't really want to go to a hotel. I'm like, well, you know, you know you're always welcome to stay here. I have plenty of room. So Johnny stayed with me these last two days. I've known Johnny Velasquez for a long time. I know Angel says I'm a kid. I mean, I used to run around Belmont and Aqueduct with his two oldest children, especially Tommy, his oldest son. So I know Angel for a very, very long time. Um, Johnny is Johnny. Uh, and, and Puerto Rico has, yes, they have a great vocational jockey school also. But for whatever reason, and this is something very personal, some people might not like it. I, I just think that when you bring someone whose dream is being in the United States and who who comes here with, you know, if you're from Puerto Rico and you come here and you don't do well, you just go back to Puerto Rico. I mean, you, you haven't lost anything. You, you don't need anything. Not even, you don't need a passport to come from Puerto Rico to, to, my, to the United States. It's, it's a territory of the United States. But there's something different about when you bring a kid from Panama who, you know, the, the, I think their mindset is very different. They're, they see it as this is my opportunity and I have to take advantage of it. And I'm going to leave my family, my friends, 
who God knows when they're going to be able to come to the U.S. to see me because they have no tourist visa to just come and travel. Unlike the kids from Puerto Rico who you've had hundreds of jockeys come from Puerto Rico to the United States. And yes, we have a lot of good ones, but most never make it because they just start jumping around everywhere. Um, and, or they'll just go back home to Puerto Rico when the going gets tough. And I just think the kids from Panama are, are much more easily influenced and molded. And, and you bring them young like I did, like 16 years old. I mean, you're, you're literally bringing a child into another country. And you have to be responsible for that for that young man. You know, I mean, and, and, and you know, they put them in my hands and it's a huge responsibility. Unlike a kid who comes from Puerto Rico, he can go to Puerto Rico on the days off. Just fly there, two-hour flight from Miami, three-hour flight from New York. So that's why I chose Panama. Um, and one of the big reasons I chose Panama was because the first jockey that I ever had in my life was a Panamanian jockey who was a Gallup boy in a racetrack. And Cornelio Velasquez got him for me. That was my first jockey ever. His name was Cecilio Penalba. And Cornelio Velasquez was the one that got him for me. For me to get my jockey agent's license. Um, so that's how that happened, you know, and, and just one thing led to another. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> oh, it did. I have so many follow-up questions. I nearly don't know where to start. How old were you when you started managing your first jockey? Um, I'm not going to tell you how old I was. I, I could tell you it was... <laughs> <laughs> So it was like in 2000, I don't remember, 2000, maybe 2000, 2002, I don't remember. I don't, I have to, I would have to look, when was it that I brought Miguel Manor? So maybe 2000, so 20 years ago. Okay. Was becoming a jockey agent always on your radar or how did you roll into that? Well, I, I like the horses. I like the passion of it. I knew I wasn't going to be a trainer. I knew I wasn't going to be a jockey. I was working for the airline, and that's when all the stuff started happening with the airlines. I lost one of my best friends in an, in an airline crash. He was flying from JFK to Dominican Republic, and I spoke to him the day before, and that airplane went down two months after 9-11. And I said, I need to start doing something else. So, you know, being that I was living very close to Gulfstream Park, um, I, I was just living, actually I was living in New York, but I was based in Miami and, and I, I started going to the racetrack again and everyone would always tell me, you would make a great agent. You would make a great agent. And I would ask some of my friends in Puerto Rico who were very successful agents and some would laugh and some would say whatever. So that's why I did it. I did it because I wanted to get away from the flying part of, of the job that I had. And did you ask some of your sort of childhood friends such as Angel Cordero Jr. for advice in relation to that? I did. I asked Angel and he would always tell me, you're smart, you speak both languages, you're likable, you're this, you that. He would pour me with a lot of good compliments and I was like, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that about me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, yeah, Angel was, I mean, absolutely. Angel, you know, Angel is the kind of person that he, he, he he's a 
I mean, he's a very genuine, caring person, and it's, you know, from Angel, he, he's a giver. He, he's a he's a warm-hearted, I mean, he's just a giver. He, he, he likes to build people up, and that's what he's done all his life. Well, there certainly are many that see him as some form of a mentor. I've had the pleasure to meet him during last year's Belmont meet when I was working for the New York Racing Association. And he was always always laughing and friendly every time I came into the um, the racing office to get some of the entries for our graphics. And he was just always joking around. And I think he absolutely loved new faces and people that, you know, want to do well in the industry. And he seems like he would indeed help everyone out. And of course, Johnny Velasquez is Johnny Velasquez. He's just one of the best representatives of the sport that we have. So it's it's quite intriguing to hear that you've grown up with these guys. I mean, do you have any cool stories that I need to hear? Oh, man, I don't know. I would have to think that. I mean, with Angel, you actually, we can have a whole session with Angel. I mean, I just can't. I mean, those guys, Johnny is Johnny, and, and we're, we're very good friends, you know. You know, I... <laughs> He was here this past weekend. I, I could tell you one about Johnny really fast, and he's gonna probably hate me for it, but I don't care. Um, it's too late for that. <laughs> he was here. He was like picking up everything and and doing the dishes like immediately after and sponging everything down. And I'm like, dude, you would make a good wife. But I actually got that from Angel because when I when Angel was invited to Dubai, since I used to live in Dubai, Angel didn't want to go by himself. So he invited me to Dubai with him. And he's like, if you don't go, I don't want to go. I don't want to be there by myself. Johnny's going to be with Leona. Just come. So I go with Angel to Dubai. And and we get to the hotel at God knows what hour. First of all, he said he doesn't sleep on airplanes. Every time I went to his seat, he was snoring. Okay, so I didn't speak to him the whole freaking flight until we got into Dubai. I'm like, thank God you don't sleep. So that was the beginning. Second thing was we get to the hotel after like a, a 12 hour flight from JFK and he wants to call the guy that works at the hotel so he could hook up his PlayStation to play horses. So we have the guy come and hook up his PlayStation and a lot of those things are not compatible. And then he's mad because it wasn't in color. It was black and white. And I'm like, dude, listen to me. You need to like relax. Like we just got here. Try to sleep. Well, I'm not tired. I'm like, you have to sleep and obligate because if not, we're going to be on the opposite clock the whole time. So whatever. We're there. He's playing PlayStation. And then they invite him to an activity. And I'm like, Angel, I'm going to shine your shoes. He's like, where are they? I'm like, give me your shoes. I'm going to shine. No, I need to shine those shoes. So he jumps in the shower. And he's funny because I usually put my shoes on like after, like I put my pants on or whatever. So he gets fully dressed and then he puts on his shoes, which I think is really strange. <laughs> so I'm, I'm over there finishing up in the shower. He goes, hey, bro, where are my shoes? And I'm like, they're right there. Where are my shoes? I can't find my shoes. Well, the thing is, when I finally get out of the shower and I point to where his shoes are, he goes, those are my shoes? He obviously hadn't shined them since he probably got them. They were so clean, he didn't even recognize his shoes. So that's a really good, true Angel Cordero story. And that same day, he said, you know what? You make a good wife. So I stole that from Angel, and I used it with Johnny this past weekend. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm definitely going to use that sentence on people as well now. <laughs> this is a great sentence. <laughs> well, also, getting back, Angel brought his PlayStation from the USA to Dubai. Yes. <laughs> what? He did. And the first thing he wanted to do was hook it up when we walked into the room. The first thing. He didn't even open. He opened his suitcase for that. I've never heard that before. That's quite incredible. Does he still play PlayStation that often? All day long. He's, he pauses for a minute and 15 seconds when it's a three-quarter race. And he pauses for a minute and 40 seconds when it's a mile race. And he pauses a minute and 50 seconds when it's a mile and an eighth. In between races every day in Saratoga. Because I would be there with him a, a lot. Like maybe seven, no, 85% of the time. So, I, I, you know, you can't make this stuff up. Oh, my God. <laughs> so he's watching the races at Saratoga at home then so he can play PlayStation or? He has two TVs. He has one on the right with his PlayStation and one on the left with the races. Wow. He's going to kill me. You're going <laughs> to, let me tell you something. You're going to get me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> oh, no. Just say it's for Naomi. For the girl that used to run into the um, the Belmont Racing Office, he'll remember me. I'm the tall one, like twice as tall as he is. So, uh. <laughs> I've probably seen you. I was in Saratoga all summer with Ricardo. But anyway, that that's all these stories are true. I can't make these up. All right, we'll, we'll get back on track again because this is just way too interesting and we can go all day. I've always found it incredibly fascinating the relationship between an agent and a jockey as your two-man business whereby the success is dependent on both of your efforts. Now, for listeners that do not know, what exactly is your role as a jockey's agent? My role as a jockey agent, you know... Uh... I see. Let me tell you something. There are agents out there that I really, really admire. Okay. Um, I, I have to definitely mention two people. One of them is Tito Fuentes, Manuel Fuentes, who represents Edgar Zayas in Gulfstream. Because um, I asked him a lot of questions before I got licensed as a jockey agent. And I also have to include a guy named Frank Sanabria, who I used to watch as a kid. They call him Cochi Sanabria. He's actually Angel Cordero's ex-brother-in-law. Angel was married to his sister for many years, which is the mom of his two eldest kids, Tommy and Merle. And Frank Sanabria helped me so much. And to this day, I call Frank. I call him Cochi. Um, he, he was the agent for Angel Cordero for a long time, being his brother-in-law. He was the agent for Jacinto Vasquez. He was the agent for Jose Santos when he broke Angel's 11-in-a-row burst of leading rider in Saratoga. He beat him with Jose Santos, and then Angel went on to win two more years after that for his 13 titles. So those are people, and nowadays guys like Matt Musicar, Ron Anderson, you know, um, Steve Russian, uh, John Panagano, who's relatively new. I mean, those are guys that I respect, especially like Matt and Ron. You know, they take riders, top-notch riders, and and or, or they or young guys coming up, and and they have a lot of business to choose from, and they do an extra extraordinary job. My job is different from theirs because I I literally brought a kid from all the jockeys that I've had, maybe one or two. 
have been people that I have brought as minors to the United States. So being their agent was is now like the easy part with Ricardo, but just raising, you, you know, you, you raising, you bringing someone, you know, they, they lived with me. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they lived with me. We lived in the same place and getting them up and just starting from scratch, you know, character building, um, respect. When you shake someone's hands, you give them a firm handshake and you look at their eyes. You say thank you. You know, if you don't have anything good to say, you keep your mouth shut. So those are the things that that I tried to instill in, in like Ricardo when he was growing up with me, you know. Um my job as an agent is to try to keep the act as a buffer between the jockey and the trainer. Um, right now, I'm very, very fortunate that we ride that Ricardo rides for a person that I respect much, who's very, very demanding. And if he wasn't as demanding as he he is, he wouldn't be who he is. That's what makes him who he is. And I'm talking about trainer Steve Asmussen. Um, he requires excellence not only from the jockey but from everybody who's in his, in his operation. And he's demanding and he's um, rough sometimes, but he's made Ricardo a better rider. So my job right now is to try to keep Ricardo um, um, at a neutral, focused point in his life. And 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 yes, I do cater to Steve Asmussen. Absolutely, he gives me everything. Why shouldn't we give him everything? You know, so my job, my role as an agent is a little bit different than, let's say, Matt Musicar, who he probably has, has 10 trainers calling him for to ride Tyler or Joel Rosario, Ron Anderson's agent, who has to pick and choose his spots because he can. My job sometimes is a little bit more difficult because I have to wait for Steve and a lot of people don't come to me because they don't like to wait. And and. It's a give and take. It's like when Johnny used to ride for Todd. Angel used to go to Todd first, and then he used to try to fill in whatever spots he needed to get horses from. But Johnny rode for Todd for many, many years, and and that connection came through Wayne Lucas, where Todd was Wayne's assistant, and Angel used to ride for them. And you know, everything leads to a, something leads to something else all the time. So, you know, being an agent for me is just um. Um, keeping track of the horses we ride, making sure that Steve is covered, not ever leaving him without a rider at the draw. Hey, you need a rider. Like, like he doesn't want to deal with that. He yeah. wants to know that when he names me on a horse, it's done. How did that relationship with Steve Asmussen come about? You know, if you can ask five people and you'll get five different stories, but I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> the truth was that we were at Delaware Park with Ricardo, and Steve shipped in a horse. And when he did not know the jocks there, he would just start at the top. And at that that day when he entered the horse, he started with the leading rider, which was Ricardo. And we did fairly well for him. And I guess also a trainer named Ron Moquet would tell Steve, you have to watch this kid. You have to watch this kid. And we rode that horse for him. And then one of his assistants, Mitch Dennison, um, was happy with the way Ricardo rode. Steve was happy with the way Ricardo rode. And then it was time to go to either Zia Park or Sunland. I don't remember. And they asked us if we wanted to go and ride for him. So not really even knowing them personally, we went there to ride for him and the horse did pretty well. And he started using us. You know, he started using us a little bit more and more. 
And so we made that jump to Kentucky. And, you know, it's taken a while for him to to get to where we're at. I mean, there's horses that at that time we didn't ride everything like we do now. You know, and, and we ride everything for him now. Um, I don't take that for granted at all. I'm, I'm, we're very, very fortunate. Um, it's tough, Ricardo. I mean, what surprised me the most about Ricardo recently is his, the mental stamina that he's developed. But we could get into that later. That's how it started off with Steve. That's quite the story. It's not easy to keep someone that has the highest of standards satisfied as a jockey and as an agent. That is quite the feat. I tell Ricardo today, focus on today. And and, and Steve, he's, re- I mean, when Steve gets mad, he's usually right. I have to admit it. I mean, he's, he's passionate. He wants to win. He wants to kick everybody's butt. That's him. That's who. That's what makes him who he is. You know, if not, there would be 25 Ashmissons. That's why there's only one. And is he tough on the kid? Absolutely. Absolutely he's tough on the kid. Um, but he's tough on his kids. And he's tough on his help. And he's tough on his assistants. That That's him. Um I, I, we've lasted for a long time. People, when we first started riding for him, people would tell me, you're crazy. You're not going to last a month. I don't know how many years has it been already. I would have to look. You know, and, and we owe our success to him. Other people have jumped on. Other people use us because the kid, he's talented. He's light. He's talented. He's clean. He tries hard. And the best thing that Ricardo has is that he thinks no one is better than him. He doesn't think he's better than anyone else because he he's friends with a lot of these kids. He loves Le Peru. He idolizes Joel Rosario. I mean, he's buddies with the Ortizes. He's really good friends with Luis Sayas. They were from the same class. Julian Le Peru and him are like, forget it. Miguel Mena, who I brought in him, are friends. Like, he has a group of friends. I mean, and he respects them all. But when he's on the track, he thinks he can beat them all. And that's a great thing to have. I spoke with Johnny Velasquez last week during my podcast and he said something similar that confidence is everything and could really just give you that little bit extra that could make the difference when it comes to that nose on the wire. I mean, and, and you know, he makes mistakes, obviously. They all do. That's why the horses run around the track with the jockeys. They all, But, you know, he, he just, I don't know. He's physically very, very strong. You, you see him come back from a race where he had to ride the horse the whole way around. And people look, he's not even breathing heavy. Like, that's not human. You know, it's not. And, and, and you know, other jockeys pointed that out to me. The valets pointed that out to me. The assistance of people pointed that out to me. I didn't know that. Until one day I went, I, I you know, I started, I went to Keelan when we first got there. And I would just go wait for him after the race. And it was true. He wasn't even breathing heavy. You know, last, this, not this weekend, last weekend, the one prior to the, one of the most frustrating days for me, Ricardo had six seconds. And he lost, I think it was three races by less than, some by a nose and less than half a head. And Joel beat him on several of those. 
I mean, and he, I mean, he was like, man, you see Joel? Jeez, he don't give me a break. I'm like, nobody, first of all, nobody gives anyone breaks here when you're at this level. But, you know, he wanted so bad to be the guy who he thinks is the best. He wanted so bad. He was like, damn, this Joel, man. You know, and he and Joel got us. He got us a few times. Let's say we had six seconds. I think we won two that day, but we had six seconds. But that's the way it goes, right? I guess so. And you mentioned the physical strength is also mental strength needed to deal with that because there's always going to be more losses than wins in this game. Now, getting to um, how it's going so far, uh, you've had together your best year so far in 2019. You were eighth by earnings in North America. And I do believe 2019 brought about seven grade one victories on four different mounts. And I was going to mention you, Asmussen isn't the only barn you ride for. You already highlighted Ron McKay, who uh, Ricardo Santana Jr. won on Whitmore for. Which are some of the other trainers that you also have a notable relationship with? This past year, we didn't ride Whitmore. We rode um, Nitrous. Somebody else rode Whitmore this year because I'll tell you why. We got we took off of Whitmore for the first race of the sprint, the the first stake, stake sprint. We decided to stay with Share the Upside, who ended up beating Whitmore, um, not knowing that Whitmore is Whitmore, and you know that's why it's horse racing and not jockey racing. But we Ramo Ket has been a a, a a strong supporter of ours forever. Um, you know, he, he, he always tells me, I recommended Ricardo to, to, to Steve and now I can't even get him. And, and I understand, you know, um, but he's, he's been a good supporter. We've, we've written Whitmore a lot of times. I think we've won two or three count fleets with him. If this is his third, we've won two. If this is his fourth, we've won three. So I'm not, I don't remember exactly how many we won with Whitmore, but yeah, and we won great ones for other trainers also. Some of them landed on our lap. We we rode um, forever unbridled. No, I'm sorry, um, unbridled. The one for Todd Fletcher. I, we rode. We won the apple blossom for him um, on the Philly. Um, Johnny decided not to come, and we ended up winning that race for Todd. We won a Grade One for um, Mark Cassie in Saratoga last year. Yeah, the four star Dave got stole me. Exactly. I should have mentioned earlier that, of course, you guys aren't currently riding Whitmore anymore. Do you believe the last time was March last year in a hot spring stakes? But I remember that you've had plenty of great times together, including the four-go win and multiple Count Fleet sprint handicaps. We, we rode Whitmore a lot. And, you know, we had to take off Whitmore last year for the Count Fleet. Yeah. Because we stuck with Matoli. I mean, now in hindsight, horse racing in hindsight is 2020. But, you know, we we decided to stick with Matoli for various of reasons. He was doing good again. And he, we knew he was always special. And our barn, my support. Um, so all those factors went into that. You know, and Steve let us. Steve said, you guys ride who you want. Would that put any 
worries in your mind when Steve says that? Do you think, is there a catch? Do I have to still pick him? Because obviously he's, like you mentioned, your main provider. I, I don't think Steve plays games. I, I think he's pretty direct. I mean, I might not never ride the horse again, but 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 he's pretty, he has no reason to, to want to fool me. You know, when he tells me, you know, you need to do this, you know, I, I consider it. I don't think he does it to test me. He doesn't need to do that. He's going to, you know, he's going to win regardless who he rides. We're very fortunate he's, he, we're riding for him, but he's, he's a winner. He's been winning races since re before Ricardo was born. And, 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 I, and I have to be realistic, you know. He's not winning because he rides Ricardo. It might help. I'm glad that he notices Ricardo in order to ride him on his horses. That's a that's wonderful. But he's gonna win horse racing, not jockey racing. And I tell that to Ricardo all the time. Yeah, they there used to be a saying: "Good horses make good jockeys." Correct. Does that mean that you still spend most of your time handicapping, looking at which horse you think is the best mount for your jockey? And, and that'll probably go back to the prior question of, of the agent thing. Like, I know Ron Anderson will do that, and Matt Musicor will do that, and guys like that will do that. I'm in a position where when Steve has two in a race, he lets me pick. Um, and sometimes he goes, I'm surprised you picked that horse. Or sometimes he'll, let, he'll tell me pick, and he goes, no, stay on this one. Or if he has two in a race and one of them belongs to him and the other belongs to the owner, he puts me on the owner's horse, not on his, just to be fair to his owners. Uh, when I have other barns to pick from, then that's when my handicapping comes in. But when Steve enters a horse, there's no handicapping for me to do. There might be others in the race that are better. But, you know, it, it's a catch-22. If I'm going to, like he tells me, you ride everything or nothing. So I'm not going to tell Steve, hey, Steve, by the way, I got one for Brad Cox who's going to beat you by 10. Because his numbers are better, can I can I ride Brad's? That's just me looking for trouble. Well, very understandable. So let's get back to the beginning again with Ricardo, because there were still many more questions I wanted to ask. You mentioned how in your position it was slightly different, and it was like raising him in a way. What was that like starting out, and when did he start calling you dad? Uh, well, it was, it was just different from my mind. I know he, he probably missed his family and stuff like that, but I was very fortunate because I always had people that, that supported us. You know, we had a guy named Juan Vasquez in, in Delaware that supported Ricardo. Ron Moquette supported Ricardo. Um, I don't I can't tell you exactly when he starts calling me dad or, you know, sometimes he'll even do it like with Ron because they're good friends. You know, he'll call out of respect, um, you know, and then I'm like, Dad, you have a lot of daddies. He goes, no, I have my dad in Panama and you, you know, so when he's mad at me, he calls me Ruben. <laughs> when he goes, Ruben, I'm going to say, I'm going to tell you something. I know that he's pissed. <laughs> when it's okay, daddy, everything is good. But he doesn't call me Ruben very often because I, I've learned how to, um, you know, he's very passionate. So he's like, you know, like kids, when they lose a game, they get mad and and then they just get a temper tantrum. Like that, that, that was him before. Now he's calmed down a lot. You know, going to Saratoga calmed him down a lot. I mean, like in Delaware, there was there was a time he didn't have a valet. 
he fight. They would all fire him. No one wanted to deal with him. Really? You know, so he was he was being his own valet. You know, <laughs> he's definitely come a long way. He he's definitely come a long way, and and he respects me because I've always respected him. I've been firm. I tell him the truth, whether he likes it or not. And it's not what you say; it's how you say it. And I think that's much more effective with a per with like a person with Ricardo. You know, um, he came from a very rough area where he had to. His survival skills were. I have to be tough. You know, I can't take any BS from anybody. And he's had to come here and learn how to put that guard down and, and realize that not everybody's after him, out to get him. You know, including me when I give him criticism or when I need to tell him something. Well, it's certainly necessary to be level-headed in this game too, which can be very challenging. And starting out with his apprentice year, it was cut short because he had a bad fall from Ship of Fools in November in 2009, which resulted in multiple broken bones and about five months away from the track. That period must have been incredibly difficult for you both, especially as you say that you know he's very motivated and ambitious. How did you keep the faith and how was that recovery process like? Well, at the time we were in New York, that was the year that Larry Jones decided to take some time off. So I decided to go to New York with Gabriel Saez, who I had, and I brought Ricardo along. So us three were living in Ibarcoa's house next to Belmont. And when Ricardo broke his back, we thought he didn't have anything because we went initially, they, they released him from the emergency room and he couldn't, you know, we would like tap him on his shoulder, whatever, put a little pressure and he would, ow! And Gabriel and I would laugh or whatever. And so we took him to a specialist and he had a broken back. So they put him in a brace. And instead of keeping him in the U.S., since he had his visa that he can travel back and forth, he went home to recover. Okay. He went home to Panama, yes. And he would come in for his appointments and stuff like that. And, you know, I will, are you wearing the brace? You have to wear the brace to make sure you don't heal crooked. You're young. You're this. You're that. You know, I heard not long after that he was freaking playing soccer in Panama. Of course, he told me that afterward, and his mom told me that afterwards. But, you know, when you're young, when you're 16, you heal quickly. <laughs> Very quickly, the way he healed then. Yeah. So that must be tricky for you, trying to manage him from abroad. Well, at that time, you know, I was just depending on his parents and everything and making sure that he was okay. I wasn't worried about him coming back when he's coming back. Oh, I want him to ride. That that wasn't even going that wasn't even in my head. I just wanted him to make to make sure that he was okay. Because Ricardo's dad is in a wheelchair. Ricardo's dad had a fall when he was after he retired from being a jockey. He was galloping horses and he had a fall and he's in a wheelchair. That must have obviously severely affected Ricardo as well. But talking a little bit about coming back and when he started race riding again, what kind of schedule did you guys start off with? And how has that changed over the year? You mentioned when you started going to Kentucky for the meet, which was later on. Yeah, actually, when he came back, we went back to Delaware Park and he did amazing. He did really, really well. Um, he did really well. As a matter of fact, I took some, I, I stayed with Gabriel. I went to the fairgrounds and then Gabriel went another direction. And Ricardo already had lost his apprenticeship. 
and I took him in Delaware Park, and he ended up being leading rider. That was incredible. So how did you move on from there? When did you decide to go to some of the other tracks as well, or the other circuits? <clears throat> Let me think. I know we were in Delaware, and we were doing we did extremely well there, and... I just, somebody said, you know what, you should go to Kentucky. And I was like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. And, and I started telling some trainers that I'm not going to, that I'm going to go to Kentucky. And they were like, well, you're crazy. You know, nobody's going to ride you there. And we went, you know, Steve started riding us a little bit and Ron would ride us, you know, cause Ron had horses in Delaware also. And he was one of the guys who influenced us to go to Kentucky. You know, there was a couple of guys in Delaware Park that would go to Kentucky, and we did. And Ricardo ended up being leading rider in Kentucky. I forget the exact year, but he tied with Corey Lannery for the spring meet of Churchill Downs. How that happened, Naomi, I do not know. <laughs> well, surely you both must have been doing something right. Yeah, he was. You know, go to Kentucky and, and, and with those guys. They, I, I'm sure they did a lot of putting him in his place, but but now they've embraced him. He's he's part of the Kentucky, he's part of that group now. You know, with Brian Hernandez and Robbie and Cecil and you know those, those guys. You know, Corey Lannery. They they he's like their buddies now. You know, they they he's part of the the, the crowd now. You know, and Tyler joined us recently, who we have a lot of respect for, and who Ricardo's very good friends with. Um, so, you know, I think Tyler and Ricardo are the two strong up and come, young up and coming riders in Kentucky. A lot of those other guys are journeymen who have been riding for a, a very, very long time. Definitely two young riders that have very much made their mark over the last few years. And I dare say there's nobody in the industry that doesn't know about the two of them. So you've both, you've done incredibly well. Continuing on a high note, what ride or what race would have been the highlight for you both? Now, I, I have some races here that I think you might be able to mention, such as when he won his first grade one, uh, the Arkansas Derby in 2016 on Creator. But which which win really meant something to you? Well, obviously, the win on Creator was our first grade one, and it was an Arkansas Derby, and it was for Windstar, and it was and it was for Steve. So that's absolutely special. Um, not being able to ride him in the Belmont and him winning the Belmont without Ricardo was wow. I watched that race with Ricardo and that wow. He he. So th that's why that race wasn't as special as maybe some other ones, right? Because he went on without us and he won another great one. Um, not taken away from from the accomplishment of winning the Arkansas Derby, but I, I would have to say. You know, the number one is Matoli, for sure, the Breeders' Cup, just because Matoli is who he is. And, and wow, I mean, you just hearing Ricardo describe when he's on the horse, like what the horse does, like he just takes a, Ricardo would say he would take a deep breath and he would just know when to go. You know, it was pretty wonderful. And, of course, winning a great one for Todd Pletcher, and I remember the filly's name, it's Unbridled Moe. In 2018, we won a great one, the Apple Blossom. So that was very special as well. Absolutely, winning. I mean, shoot, we—I can count the amount of horses I've written for Todd. You know, 
you know, and, and just, you know, a lot of the horses that Steve has, I mean, you know, Mitzoli's up there, absolutely. I mean, she's a Julie. We want a great one with her. Uh, who else? I can't remember offhand just like that. But. Mia Mischief? Mia, oh, Mia. She's, oh, God. We're, we're really excited about her this year. Yeah, we won the Humana Distaff with her that same weekend. I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, that we won with She's a Julie. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a very special weekend. You know, we left here a week early last year. We were atop, on top of the standings. And we left here a week early. And I never forget when we won the great one with She's a Julie. Steve looked at me and he goes, I was I just happened to be around in the winner's circle. He's like, Is this worth giving up the riding title in Oakland? And I said, Steve, it's not over yet. We're still in the lead. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh. that weekend was one for the books. You won three grade ones that weekend at Churchill Downs. She's a Julie in the La Troyenne, Mia Mischief in Humana, Distaff, and Matoli in the Churchill Downs Stakes. Yes. That must have been worth it. Absolutely. No questions asked. And we only got beat, I think, by one or two. Uh, but yeah, that, that you know, nobody was watching Oakland that weekend. We needed to be where we were win lose or draw just out of respect for the barn and for steve that's where he wanted us his best horses were running ricardo was on, on them you know this is not about trophies or anything this is a team effort and that's where we're supposed to be and there are no regrets whatsoever there are no what if that doesn't you know that who cares we we were on the stage we wanted to be at at whatever cost what was that day like in terms of emotions for you i mean what was going through your head disbelief euphoria pinch me and if i pinch me to make sure i'm not dreaming because if i wake up and this is a dream i'm going to be pissed off um <laughs> <laughs> that's what i was going through <laughs> that's what we were going through even today i mean ricardo will come he'll knock on the door daddy and i'm like what's up he goes can you, can you believe we won a Breeders' Cup? Or he'll go, can you believe we won this title? Like this year, we were like, I wanted, I was suicidal two weeks ago. I couldn't even ride. Um, but it was good because I, I, I was able to hang out with you and just do nothing and just watch TV with you and hang out and not have to worry about anything. Um, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. we, we If you don't dream, dream in this sport, you shouldn't be in it. You know, that's the bottom line. When I explain what horse racing is about to my friends and family who aren't in horse racing, that's always what I say. It's a sport for dreamers. We all hope to win and to win big. Let's go from the highs to perhaps a situation that wasn't as joyful. That was a couple of weeks ago uh, during the seventh race on the 5th of April at Oakland Park. Uh, Ricardo was riding for Steve Asmussen and he was positioned on the inside of a fellow jockey, David Cohen, and he ended up being handed a 10-day suspension for riding carelessly or willfully in a manner that jeopardizes the safety of a jockey of, or horse, which is what the stewards came out with. Then Cohen, who did not receive any reprimand for the incident coming out of the turn, then <clears throat> excuse me, took to social media to voice 
his displeasure at Santana's actions on the racetrack. And of course, this is a very complex situation for you both to be in. You've appealed, which is why Ricardo was allowed to ride uh, over the last week. What went through your mind on the day when this was all unfolding? Absolutely nothing, because that was our first day back after being quarantined for 14 days. It was 12 originally, and they took me off the horses on Friday and Saturday that I was named on the overnight, and they made it 14 all of a sudden. So now we had to be taking off horses Friday, Saturday, and our first day back was Sunday, April 5th, if if I'm not mistaken. So when that race took place... Absolutely nothing went through my mind. Why? There was no inquiry. There was no objection. Nothing. There was, there was absolutely nothing. So Sunday finishes. No one says anything. No one calls Ricardo to tell him that there's movies. Nothing. So nothing went through my mind that day. This all took place the Thursday when they came back. Ricardo was in the jocks room and they called him. The stewards called him. And I happened to be at the racetrack that day because um, we're doing the draw right outside the jocks room. And, you know, where I stand, you can see where they come in through when they exit the stewards. And I was there waiting for the draw to take place. And Ricardo sees me. And he goes, Daddy. So I walk over to him. He goes, they gave me 10 days. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. So I thought he was kidding. I'm like, dude, I'll talk to you later. We're going to draw in a little while. Call me later. He's like, they gave me 10 days. And I, I was like... He's not kidding. <laughs> oh, wow. Because did you see the incident? Did you watch it back? It was sort of some shuffling of elbows involved. I watched it. After that happened, I watched it many, 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 many times. And people sent me different angles. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not a steward and I'm not about to debate what they did or what they didn't do, whatever. Whatever they do, we're powerless over it and we just have to go through the process, which is going to unfold. Um, but I know a lot of jockeys. I'm friends with a lot of jockeys. I'm friends with a lot of Hall of Famers. And just because when I say that I'm friends with them, it doesn't mean that they're going to tell me what I want to hear. It means that if I'm wrong... They're going to tell me. That's what a real friend will do. They'll tell you the truth, even if you don't want to hear it. And I sent that video when it came out in the in one of the reports and on social media, on the Pollock Report and all that. And the ruling came out. And then the other jockey starts, oh, yeah, and Ricardo used a few choice words while he was doing it. Now, really, do you think Ricardo had time to have a conversation with you in a matter of four strides? I mean, you know, you let people talk and they display their foolishness, you know. And I, the first thing I told Ricardo is you are not to respond to anything, anyone, anywhere, at any time. No likes, no dislikes, no explanations at all. None. Zero. And going back to that film, I even sent it to... To somebody who's retired in Venezuela right now who was a top rider here. I even sent it to an ex-Hall of Famer who I respect a lot, who tells me the truth. And and not one person told, they're like, you got to be kidding me. I showed Johnny. Johnny's the first one that'll tell me, look, he screwed up. Johnny has claimed foul against Ricardo. 
Ricardo's like, Johnny's like, really? Come on. You know, I, I mean, I sent it. People were calling me, telling me what the hell's going on. So, you know, we appealed because we had to, because they wanted to put me out for the rest of the meet. The, the, the suspension was through May 2nd, which means we were not going to ride only designated stakes and we were going to have to give them one extra day for each stake that we rode. So that's what was going through my mind and that's what happened when, when it comes to that situation. Of course, nowadays it's also tricky that in the old days, I'd say that if jockeys had issues, they might talk it out, so to speak, in the weighing room. But now the inclusion of social media doesn't help. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I just tell him to ignore him and stay away from him. That's what I tell Ricardo to do, ignore him. Make him insignificant. That's what I tell him because I need to take care of his mind and what he rides. And um, like I tell Ricardo, you know, you have a lot to lose. You don't need to, you don't need to engage in that. You know, you, you don't, you don't have to. Why? Moving forward, when, how is this going to proceed? Are you expecting a hearing with the Racing Commission in the upcoming weeks or what would be the timeline? You know, right now they don't. We don't know when they're going to meet, um, but I, I'm going to fight it to the end. I mean, I, I have to. I mean, just for our own integrity, and and you know that ruling is. I mean, I I don't agree with it at all. So I'm going to fight it until the end. I'm, I'm going to use all my resources necessary to fight it because we don't agree with it. And I don't, and I don't think we're guilty. And I have some surprise witnesses that will be there when it's the time. And um, I'm not, I'm not worried. As a matter of fact, those two same horses ran this weekend in the same maiden special weight race. And Bank won, didn't he? Bank won. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite everyone. I'm going to invite everyone to watch race four of May 2nd. Watch race four. Bank is the number 11 and the other horse is the number seven. And I just want, I just invite everybody to watch the race and you make your own judgment. I haven't watched the race yet, but I did see when I looked up the form that Bank had indeed won this time out. So that is... An intriguing angle for sure. Now, moving on to looking ahead towards the rest of the year, which is, of course, a bit of a different situation than we've ever experienced before in terms of your schedule and the meets that you were planning to ride at. Has it still stayed the same or what are your plans? Well, the, the condition book just came out last night for Churchill Downs, and it runs from May 16th to June 5th. So that's where we're going to go. Um, you know, I follow my barn. Um, that's where we're going to go for right now. I mean, and, and it's going to be a loaded colony. Jose Ortiz is going. Johnny Tony is going. Joel Rosario is going. God knows who else. Um, you know, the fortunate thing for us is hopefully we have our barn supporting us because it's going to be tough. And, and we'll be at Churchill Downs starting May 16th, and they open up on May 11th. They aren't, they aren't allowing agents into the backside, 
So I guess we'll work through the phone. And some guys are really, really good at that. You know, I, I'll, I'll have to. I spoke to an agent today. He's like, oh, man, my phone is blowing off the hook. And I'm saying, well, shoot, mine isn't. <laughs> and he's like, you're in a different situation. They know that you have to wait for Steve. You know, but I work well with that agent, with Tyler's agent, Matt. Um, he's he's one of the top. I have a lot of respect for him and, and a lot of respect for for little Tyler. I mean, I just, you know, I, I respect this job. I respect jockeys. I don't think I have the best jockey. I mean, I, I'm a fan of so many of them. Manny Franco, Tyler, Luis Saez, I love. I mean, I'm the, the, the Ortiz brothers. Those, they're my buddies. You know, anytime we're in the same place, we grab something to eat. Um, Joel, yesterday I congratulated him. I texted him and I said, thank you for letting me win a couple and not go on food stuff. And he was like, oh, you know, I love you. You know, um, he texted me that yesterday. And, and you know, so it's, it's friendly competition. And, and I'm just glad that um, Ricardo has done as well as he's done. You know, I, I don't take it for granted. He's worked hard. I mean, he's come a long way as a person and as a jockey. And it's it's been it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. I know that we have a bit of a deadline and you have other business going on as well, but there was also, I still had some more questions, so we'll quickly... Be my guest. It's okay. Be my guest. You guys have had an incredible journey together and there's been a fair few brilliant highlights. Has there ever been a day, a week, a month that there was a sort of that you lost faith or you were wondering if it was going to all work out? Has there ever been doubts in your mind during all of this? When we came back from the 14-day quarantine, I don't know exactly how many wins I was down, um, but I, I we were behind several. Um, lose faith, that's not me. I, I, I never lose faith on anything. I mean, I can doubt for a moment, but it doesn't run me around at all. Um, no, I, I don't lose faith. I, I know that if I've gotten to a point, I'm there for a reason and I'm going to be taken care of from whatever thing you want to call it. Um, but when we came back from the quarantine and the first day back, we ride that race, not knowing what's going on. Then that Thursday, they slap us with 10 days. I was like, holy smokes. And Ricardo was like livid. Like, and, and luckily or blessed that I was there before he went to the jock room and we sat down for like 15 minutes when I realized he wasn't lying about getting the 10 days or being a prankster. Um, I sat down with him and I said, Ricardo, you take it a day at a time. We have a lot of live horses coming up. You don't worry about the standings. We have a lot of good horses looking forward when we leave here. We're going to appeal this so don't worry about it. Don't worry about something you, that's not in front of you. We'll deal with that. And I've told him, you've been through much tougher situations than this. And you've always been able to get through them. You might have gotten through them screaming or hollering, but you got through them. And this is just another burden that we have to overcome. And he went to the jock room and he had a great day. And then we won a couple of other races. And then this last week and a half, if you look at who we rode for, we rode for trainers that did not ride us the whole meet. And we won for them. 
And every day that went by that we would get closer or when we went on top, it would like Ricardo's smile would get wider. And once he was in that zone of like, nobody's going to beat me, it was, it, it was all over. And, and I take my hat off to all the other riders that did ex, 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 amazing. Joe and Martin coming here in between the two winning 100 races. I, I tip my hat off to them. I'd also think it's a testament to you, Ruben, and Ricardo, that you managed to continue no matter what's going on and do well. And I'd very much like to thank you for your time here. I think that this was quite the interview. I've learned so much and I feel that there is so much more to talk about. Uh, perhaps I need to get you back on another time and just talk about Angel Gordera, Johnny Velasquez and your childhood growing up around legends of the sport. Yeah, it, it's been it's been uh, wonderful, Naomi. Thank you so much. I want to give a shout out to my buddy, Jonathan Kitchen. You know, I never ask anyone anything, but this year I asked them a couple of things because I like that handicapping angle and the way they see things. I had never done that before. So he shined, he shined the light a, a, upon a, a you know, a couple of a, a couple of things that were, you know, um, that were foreign to me. So I, I'm still learning, and 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 I'm open to anything that that helps me be better in any area of my life. You know, I want to thank you for the time. Um, anytime you have my number, you know where to get me. You know, hopefully, we'll go to Churchill. We're really excited about the barn that we're riding for. You know, Steve, and one day in Saratoga, I was standing next to him and there were some horses walking by. He says, we have some incredible horses. And, 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 and yeah, we do. I'm just very glad that we're a part of that, you know, and that he's given us the opportunities that he's given us. That bodes very well for the future indeed. And JK is an incredible handicapper, NHC tour winner. So every time I have a question, I go to him as well. And I'm very lucky to have been able to work with him. So I share the respect you have for him. Yeah, sometimes like we, like, I'll just ask him. I don't say anything because I never, you know, you can ask him. I never say I'm going to win a race because I feel like I say I'm not superstitious and I say I'm never going to win a race. But I never tell somebody, oh, yeah, this horse can't be beat ever. The times that I do that, I get beat. So I just keep my mouth shut. You know, I knew I was going to have a good weekend, um, especially with those maidens. Especially with that scolding and bank and, you know, last week, volatile, you know, horses like that. I would never going to say, watch this horse. This horse is going to run off the screen. I, I don't do that. I don't do that. And I don't even bet. You know, I, I, don't, I don't even bet. So, yeah, I have a lot of respect for those guys. They, they, they See, they handicap, but why? Because it's their passion. That's why we're all in this. Well, that is very true indeed. And... I wish you and Ricardo the best of luck. I hope you stay safe and healthy during this global pandemic that we're currently in. And we'll be following the progress at Churchill Dance and hopefully at some point back up in New York again as well. Yep. Thank you, Neil. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and including my job, Ricardo, even though he's not here, but he should be coming soon because he said his mom is going to cook for me. So we'll see. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ruben. It, honestly, it's been wonderful. Thank you, Naomi. Have a great have a great evening.
I do hope everyone enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. So we'll move along to Brett Calhoun. Unfortunately, the quality of the call isn't as good as I would like. We had some issues with Skype that we're currently working on trying to find a way to get the best audio quality, but I still wanted to share it with you because he just gives us some great insight and you can still understand him. It's just not as crisp and clean as I would have liked. Hi, Brett. How are you doing? Good, good. Brett, you started training in 1993. Your first winner was in April 1994, whereby your numbers have been steadily increasing over the years. And in 2010 was a particularly strong year when Chamberlain Bridge won the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint and Dubai Majesty, the Grade 1 Breeders' Cup Filiomare Sprint. So you've truly been successful at different levels of the game from claiming races to allowance to the national stage in form of graded stakes wins what defines success to you well in in the early stage and i think uh, most of my career um obviously it's i think it's been a lot of hard work um you know i i started basically from scratch i didn't grow up in a racing family i started with a very small stable of pretty untalented horses, really. Uh, probably made it harder on myself trying to do it the way I did it. Um, but through a lot of long, uh, hard work uh, and a lot of help, and a lot of good help along the way and some good clients, we were able to keep moving forward and uh, career just kind of gradually got better and better. And like you said, we had a couple of breakout years and like anything else, it's a lot of ups and downs, uh, uh, kind of a, uh, to be a lot of rocky times. Um, early on in my career, I probably should have, uh, gotten out of the business and pursued something else. And, uh, I just had a real passion for it or, or either I was too hard headed one or two, but, uh, mainly it's just been a, a love of the, of the business, the sport, the horses, and just a lot of drive. Yeah. A lot of persistence, uh, a lot of hard hard work uh and uh you know i think that's kind of what's carried but uh you kind of have to uh have a uh kind of strong personality to be able to uh, withstand the lows there's no higher highs in this business there's no lower lows and you know you kind of have to be able to take the good with the bad you mentioned that you should have gotten out of the game in the early years what made made you say that uh, very, very few horses. I was struggling to make payroll. Um, didn't really have anything, uh, in sight that looked like it was going to change for the better. Um, you know, I was down to a couple of horses that didn't have much talent. And, uh, I was basically out of business, but I refused to get out, refused to quit. And, uh, I was kind of a one man show back then. I, I, I groomed them. I exercised them. Uh, I did everything. Um, and then as things got a little, little, uh, a few more horses, you know, I had help, but, uh, then, the, you know, you get to struggle with making payroll, uh, as things aren't, uh, going good. Um, but, uh, like I said, we just kind of fought through all that. And, uh, it's something I really, really wanted to do. I just had my mindset on it and I just refused to give up. What was, the catalyst that resulted in the growth of your stable to 
well, like I mentioned, 2010 being such a breakout year, but all those years you had hundreds of winners annually. Yeah, I was, you know, I, I think I just worked really hard at it. We had some success. And, you know, when you start having a little success, kind of word gets out. And uh, some of my owners, uh, um, they uh, recommended me to other owners. And um, it was a little bit different game then. It was a lot more claiming. Um, and so uh, we just had some success back then and keep building a stable and uh, just kept getting better horses at that time. Uh, better and more horses and uh, you know just a little success is what kind of helped us grow well let's start off by talking about some of your very successful horses of course we have to start off with by my standards who won the grade two oakland handicap last weekend with regular jockey gabriel size on board career best buyer over 102 which was also the highest a buyer number awarded the entire weekend of graded stakes action at Oakland Park. And he ran the fastest Oakland handicap time, 147.4, since McDaglia Doro in 2003, who ran 147.3. And he bested a field that included grade two winners, Mr. Freeze, Tacitus, Tax, and of course, Santa Anita handicap winner, Combatant. How proud did he make you? And of course, how did he come out of the race? Well, first off, he came out of the race great. Um, and yes, it was, um, you know, he's such a nice horse and I've been so high on him for so long. Uh, for, and for him to prove it on a big stage, a lot of people watching, uh, when there's not a lot of racing going on, a very deep quality field. Uh, proud to, uh, be rewarded by that performance. I was sort of trying to catch up on some of the interviews you're already giving. You mentioned targeting the Breeders' Cup Classic at Keeneland this year, which would make him your first ever Breeders' Cup Classic starter. How are you planning on getting him there and how special would it be for you? Well, that's still yet to be a term. Sure, when and where the races are at this point, uh, we're hoping there's a little bit clearer picture in in the coming weeks. Um, so we're not sure how we're getting there yet, but obviously we're going to try to keep them as fresh as we can. And, um, so I would say that the Stephen Foster in Churchill could possibly be our next, next spot running out of his own stall there at Churchill. So we're just going to try to work backwards from the Breeders' Cup classics when all the races, uh, are put out there. We know when and where they are. Um, and, you know, anytime special, especially when you're competing at the top level, um, you know, it's a lot goes into it, uh, a lot of things. It's obviously it's rewarding as a trainer uh, to compete at the highest level. And also also it's, you know, it's financially rewarding. It's what we do. The reason we do it, uh, the love of the, of the competition and the, the horses, and obviously I, I need to make a living too. So you, you put all it together, you win one of those races, that's pretty much the pinnacle. Well, it is a business after all, indeed. And talking about getting a nice return, you had Mr. Big News win the Oakland Stakes. Big long shot, $46.80 he paid. It was about three and a half weeks ago. A field that included Basin, as well as Grade 2 Los Alfaturity and Bob Lewis winner shoplifted, 
what kind of plans do you have for him? He didn't go to any of the Arkansas Derby divisions. Uh, what kind of path are you trying to map out for him? Well, obviously, we don't have any points at this point in time. Um, we felt like uh, we went back in the Arkansas Derby was a little bit quick back, having to make the trip from New Orleans to Hot Springs and back and go again uh, in the three weeks. Uh, I decided that Derby being so far away that it was uh, just a little too close for him. Uh, decided to be a little patient and give him a little bit more time. But that being said, we're still looking to see what forward. Uh, we know they've come out with the points for the Matt win at Churchill uh, on May 23rd. Obviously, uh, that's uh, just something we're interested in running out of our, our own stall there. Uh, but it's not a lot of points for a horse that has no points. So uh, I'm not sure we're going to be able to do that. Uh, also, I wish it was a little bit farther than that. Oh, Nate, that's the first um, first race we've been thinking about. I'm, I'm hoping a lot of these other tracks uh, uh, get their um, races out there soon. And the Churchill, lots of their points so we can kind of get a better plan together. That is what we're all waiting for. Very happy to hear that Churchill is going to be returning or is planning to return in the next few weeks and hopefully indeed puts on the races that will allow you and other trainers to get their horses still within reach of the Triple Crown race or the Kentucky Derby. Um, as of course, even though it's in September the 5th, it still is the Kentucky Derby. And how do you look upon that? Has it changed the sort of the way that you look at the Kentucky Derby now it's been moved? Well, for sure it has. I mean, it's, it's, it's allowed some of the later developers to uh, have more time. They were going to be ready early. You know, I think some of these horses have separated themselves and, and proved maybe they don't want to go as far. Uh, so with this particular horse, he was a horse that's uh, uh, on the improve and um, just trying to keep him improving all the way through uh, Labor Day weekend. Uh, I think it's the key uh, without, um, you know, without wearing him out and try to acquire enough points to get there. Well, I'd love to quickly also catch up on one of your other horses, uh, Mr. Money. He made his four-year-old debut in the Oakland Mile Stakes on the same day as Mr. Big News had his victory. He finished six. How is he currently training? It's a bit of a disappointing race. I think it's a race to draw a line through. Um, he never looked comfortable on the off track that day uh, and, and never really... Uh, Never really got into it. Um, he was doing very well going into it, and he's come out of it very well. Not sure exactly where we're going, but there's a race at Churchill called the Blaine Stakes. It's a, a one-mile race there. Uh, we might use that uh, as a, uh, a stepping stone for bigger and better things later in the year. I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for him. All of the aforementioned horses were purchased by Josh Stephen Blutstock for... Uh, Chester Thomas's Allied Racing Stable. Would you be able to tell us a little about how that relationship came to be with Josh Stevens as well as Chester Thomas? Well, Josh and I got together actually through Chester about train, training some of his horses. I gradually bought a horse in the barn. Um, we've had some unbelievable success, uh, and Josh has been a big part of that. He's put some very high-quality animals in the barn uh, for me to train, um, and they haven't given 
uh, an exorbitant amount of money for any of them. It's been a great team effort. We all work well together. Uh, we all have input uh, on things we're doing and, and the stable. And it's just it's just worked out very very well. I told Chester uh, a couple of months ago. I said, Chester, you had a fairy tale year in 2019. I don't know if you could ever expect to have another one uh, like it. But I said I have to admit that you might be set up for a better one this year because we've got our uh, older horses back running and we've got a group of uh, of two-year-olds that we're not sure what they are yet, but we have uh, a group that we're really, really excited about um, that there might be some some really nice horses there. So we've got some nice three-year-olds, nice older horses, and we think we're going to have some really good two-year-olds. Are there any of the two-year-olds that are already standing out to you? I'd love to hear their names. Well, actually, uh, most of them are still uh, on the farms right now because of uh, what's been going on. Us getting postponed moving into some of these places. So I d don't have my hands on them, so it's really hard for me to speak of them. It's just the feedback that I've gotten from the farms. Uh, and also, uh, you know, I was I was there when we purchased them, and I was very uh, high on them uh, at the time of purchase. So, um Beyond that, I can't give you a whole lot of information to be optimistic. We'll be looking forward to seeing them on the track. I wanted to ask you about how do you handle receiving horses from Gary and Mary West that were previously at Jason Services Barn, of course, um, with everything that was going on. What is that like for you? And what is the first thing you did once you got these horses into your barn? trained for uh, Mary and Gary West in the past. We had a good relationship. We had some success. And um, Benny, their racing manager, um, had called me many, many months before this even came about, um, asking me to take some two-year-olds this year. And uh, we had discussed that and, and agreed upon it. And when the stories broke with the, the problem, you know, he needed places to move some of these. And so we worked together and, uh, I've taken a few of them. I've got no problem with that. There's been uh, a protocol put in place by uh, some of these racetracks um, as far as the, the testing of them. And so we know that they're going to be very clean. They were basically eligible to race for 60 days after they got in my pos uh, possession. They have to be tested at 60 days and they will uh, then be able to have a uh, a work time to work to get off a vet's list. So it's been a very thorough process. The horses came in in good shape. They trained well and, um, hoping to start running them, uh, before too long. Thank you so much for allowing us insight into the protocols that have been put in place and what it's like for you. And of course, any additional pressure that comes with it. Thank you so much for your time, Brett. I very much enjoyed talking to you, even though it was a bit tricky breaking up uh, sometimes. So I hope that didn't bother you too much. No problem. All right, now we take care. Thank you. Well, that was it for this week's episode. Subscribe to the In The Money's Players podcast, leave a review, and please share the show if you enjoyed it. And of course, there is so much other content, so many shows to listen to, 
on the Inner Money Players Network at the moment. I won't mention them all, but I'm a fan. I keep listening to it every single day. And right now, we have content going out every single day. So if you want to keep up to date, know you're racing, as well as entertained, we've got some stories for you. So don't forget to tune in every week to talk racing to me with Naomi. And please all... Stay safe and healthy. It seems to be such a standard sign-off nowadays, but I'm going to keep saying it until we're out of the woods with this one. 